Hello, survivors. This is Annie Allen. Welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger Divorce Survival and Recovery Show. Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. I am excited to bring you part two today of the toxic marriage, toxic faith conversation. Last week, we got to hear from Tara, who told us a riveting story of her departure from a toxic marriage and toxic faith situation. And it was such a good story that it took up our whole time and that was okay. I appreciated everything she had to share with you guys. And so what I decided to do was just break up the rest of our conversation into a second part here today where we're going to talk about the similarities of a toxic marriage and a toxic faith system. As I mentioned last week, obviously toxic is a word that we've all been hearing a lot more of the last few years than we ever had before. And honestly, it's probably overused in some ways. But uh, the truth is there is a lot of toxicity in relationships because of what maybe a lot of other people used to just call dysfunction and or bad. And so even though it's just semantics, you know, we want to be clear about what really truly is toxic, because I think the difference for me, what it ultimately comes down to is that toxic is a pattern that is persistent and will never change. It is the roller coaster that, you know, you've either been on or experienced with a friend or a family member or a church, much like the cycle of abuse in its cyclical pattern and in the dysfunction and the pain that is alternating with promises of se- and seasons of joy and hope. There's a lot to this, but I want to start by talking about what I will just call the four cornerstones of a toxic connection. And that is the way you are drawn in, the good cop, bad cop scenario, control and manipulation, and leaving. And we'll talk a little bit about each of those. So when you are drawn into a toxic relationship or church, it's usually by a big personality, someone with a lot of charisma or charm, and you're compelled by maybe an unusual or unexplainable instant bond that you feel that is actually setting you up for dependency. You might have heard this as being hoovered. And if it's with a mate, he may love bomb you with flowers and chocolates and dates and trips and intense lovemaking and want to have you meet his family immediately and so on. Big, huge gestures. And with a faith or a church system, these are going to be situations where you're meeting new people that suddenly want to do everything for you, help you move, like Tara talked about last week, clean your house, make you dinner, spend all their extra time with you all in an effort to replace your outside family and friends and to slowly make you more and more reliant on and endeared to the church or the people within it 
so you will naturally distance yourself from those that are not in the fold. And they may even tell you that others outside of the church are bad, or they may not. It may be more covert. And it could be something as simple as which Bible version you use, uh, whether or not you're really truly of the faith. And you may hear things that indicate or imply that there is no other true faith except the one inside this faith system. The second cornerstone of a toxic connection is a good cop, bad cop, or insider-outsider scenario that evolves, maybe slowly and maybe quickly, where you exit normal social life and you get the idea very clearly that what happens inside stays inside and we give a very different impression of what's going on on the outside. And if it's a mate, he will want you to meet his family immediately, hang out with his friends, go to his hangouts, think and act like he does. He may tell you what he doesn't like about you, your family, your friends, anything that differs from him, and just slowly make you question the importance of having other people in your life besides him and just keep you so busy with him that you don't have time for anyone else. And in the church situation, you would quickly develop an unhealthy dependence on everyone or key people, at least, within the church. And again, this is to replace your outside life uh, over time. And it ends up distorting your view of others outside of the church. You, again, may be told or it may just be inferred that those that are outside your church are not as good as those inside. And number three, you are being controlled or manipulated somehow. There is some kind of abuse of power, an over-under position where you are in the under position, either financially, intellectually, spiritually, or so many other ways. There's emotional and psychological abuse, gaslighting, manipulation, maybe even physical abuse. Your abuser or controller may actually, quote unquote, love you. That is, act in loving and kind ways to you. And that's kind of the third strand of the rope that keeps you entangled, you, them, and the abuse, love, control. And then, so if it's a mate, you know, you're going to be told things that didn't happen and vice versa. You know, we've talked about this before on the show, gaslighted. If you don't know that term, I'm just going to give you some examples of what gaslighting looks like. It is a form of abuse and manipulation, and it's really concentrating on making you doubt your reality. So they may deny they said or did something, even when you have proof They may accuse you of doing things that you know that they actually are guilty of. They may turn others against you to take away your support system. And they may be doing this behind your back so you don't even know it. They're going to maybe tell you that you're crazy, that you can't survive without them, that you're never right, that you're never going to find someone as good as them. You constantly feel like you have to defend your own reality. I think one of the most key things that happened in my own situation that I found myself doing, and I had a mentor who pointed it out to me and helped me to understand why it was happening. And this was just to find yourself constantly collecting proof 
that things happened so you can reassure yourself. I used to never go anywhere without a bag full of all the books that I had been reading with pages earmarked and underlined and highlighted so that if anybody asked me anything, I could figure out, you know, I could pull that out and explain it and somebody would maybe understand what I was going through, you know, because your trust in yourself and your own intuition is eroding or has completely eroded. And so you're always feeling confused about everything, uh, especially whether or not you're on good terms with your partner and what your reality is. And, you know, basically you're just not allowed to have feelings. So that's what gaslighting looks like. If it's in a church situation, you may be lied to or told how to think, where to go, who to talk to. There may be threats, even subtly or covertly, of spiritual punishment by church leaders or even God. You know, it may be taught that if you do this or don't do that, God is going to punish you. And the Bible may even be used manipulatively to propagate the leader's personal and often warped opinions and views of the world. And then fourthly, in both toxic marriages and toxic faith systems, leaving is bad, and in some cases, even dangerous. Obviously, if it's a mate, there's, you know, only so much that a restraining order can do. And we heard last week from Tara on just how bad it can get in a leaving scenario. And so it is important to have a really good safety plan in place before you make any moves if you feel there's any danger at all in that way. And in toxic faith systems, they're going to tell you there's no other good church. But what's really ironic is they will just as quickly shun you as if you never existed. And the members are trained to treat you as a leper if you leave. Every single abusive environment has these four things in common, among many others. And what I really want you to get out of all of this that we talk about today is that if you find yourself in any of these situations, please reach out. Now, I want to also take some time to go through a pretty extensive list of toxic traits. And that's beyond the four that we've already talked about. When we are looking at a relationship or church and wondering, is this toxic? These are some ways you can know. First of all, your close friends and family who are really honest with you and you're really honest with are concerned. They're telling you that you should leave they're tired of hearing about the constant roller coaster. They've expressed concern. And that is the number one way of knowing that you are in a situation that you would be better off not being in. Because good quality, close friends and family who love you and are healthy people can see it more clearly than you can when you're in the middle of it. And another trait is that every time you disagree with the partner or church, there's an offense and it's your problem. You're the one in the wrong. And even if they did something wrong, it's still your fault somehow. There are four types of what uh, Dr. John Gottman calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it's kind of a dramatic name, but it really comes down to his determination through all of the studies that he has done that these are the four things that will end a relationship. And the truth is, these are actually p present in even a non-toxic relationship. 
But in a toxic relationship, these are probably going to be much more overt, much more obvious and much more harsh. And so they are criticism, contempt, stonewalling and defense. Those are the four horsemen that Dr. John Gottman talks about. And so obviously, you know, your partner or church is going to be overly critical if they are toxic. They're going to be contemptuous. It's going to, you're going to be treated as if you're hated in situations. Uh, stonewalling is that silent treatment that you might get for hours or days or weeks sometimes. And then defensiveness. No matter what legitimate concern you bring and no matter how gently you present it, nothing is ever resolved because there's always a defensive wall of I'm right, you're wrong. So anything you bring as a concern is not valid or concerning to that person. And you're going to feel like you're walking on eggshells. It's a very insecure place. Uh, you probably feel damned if you do, damned if you don't, a whole lot of the time. And we cannot underestimate the importance of the fact that a healthy relationship offers both parties a feeling of safety and security, even in the face of difficulties, like every relationship experiences. We don't have that in a toxic relationship. You don't have your boundaries respected, your thoughts cared about, your beliefs cared about, you know, they don't defend your honor, they don't in any other way see that you are a different person than they are, and that that's okay. And in a healthy relationship, those things would all be in place. You're going to feel drained and exhausted, always worse when you are with them. You may have a sensation like many women that I've spoken to and I've experienced personally where you hear the garage door open or whatever indication you get at your house that your partner is home and it's like Pavlov's dog. You get this instant dread or worry or anxiety that comes over you because you don't ever know what is going to happen, what to expect. And so obviously that's draining and exhausting and it's probably going to bring out the worst in you in some situations where, you know, you just never feel like yourself around them. You, you probably don't even feel like you know who you are anymore, truthfully. And then they're going to be competitive with you, extending to a refusal to celebrate your victories because they have a very ego-driven perception of the world that they are the most successful. They must get all of the attention all the time. They'll sabotage any efforts you make to excel in your career to somehow outshine them in any way. And then, of course, they play mind games. I've even heard of stuff being hidden in the house where you know you put something in a certain place and it's moved um, or, you know, just games like not having any interest in you until you are, you know, practically begging for attention. And then that's when they, you know, withdraw from you. It's kind of like this push-pull thing that happens. And saying one thing and doing another, they'll deny they ever said it, in fact. And that's kind of like the gaslighting that we talked about earlier they don't remember or care about what is important to you. And it's all about the blame game, nonstop with a toxic person. 
they never do anything wrong. And like I said earlier, if they do, it, that's your fault somehow too. They are constantly the victim in every story. The blame game and the victim mentality go hand in hand to avoid personal responsibility. They're not sorry ever. And even if they ever do say they're sorry, it's just lip service and no actual extended change will take place for any length of time. And you know, this is a good place to mention that this might be one of those areas where you feel like you're not even yourself at all. Like maybe you've sunk into this same blame game and victim mentality with them. You know, maybe you're not doing it to avoid personal responsibility. Maybe you're doing it just to protect yourself somehow. But the truth is that you give up all your power in a relationship when you're in a victim mentality and blaming others for everything. The only way you can ever make any reasonable, responsible, and lasting changes in your life that will be better serving of your goals and dreams for yourself is by accepting responsibility for your part in anything. And maybe your part is just tolerating too much for too long. But you've got to take responsibility for whatever you can change, because that's where all your power is. And without that, your self-esteem is dying or dead. Trust is non-existent. They may break promises. They may be all into you one week and totally checked out the next and you can't explain it at all. The constant push and pull keeps you off balance and that's exactly what it's intended to do, to keep you feeling like you're crazy, like you're the problem. And, you know, how could it not make you off balance with all this going on covertly beneath the surface, if not overtly for the whole world to see? You know, you're going to feel like you're the only one doing any work on the relationship. And that's because you are in a healthy, balanced relationship. When there's a problem, both parties take some ownership of it or they kind of alternate one time he or one time her. And both people are working on the problems like they're on one side of the table. The problem is on the other side of the table. But you don't get that in a toxic relationship. It's always you versus the other person in the relationship, the toxic person. And, you know, you probably found yourself making excuses to your kids, to your family, to others for your toxic partner's behavior. The relationship may be even borderline abusive, or it may eventually cross that border, starting with emotional abuse, yelling, breaking things, driving fast to scare you. That was another thing that Tara mentioned last week. Um, Backing you into a corner, trapping you in a room to force a conversation on you. It will almost always slowly, but sometimes quickly escalate to hitting, pushing, and worse if it's allowed to go on for too long. But you know, you keep on waiting and hoping for them to change. What else can we try that we haven't tried yet? Always waiting and hoping until you just suddenly one day lose all hope for a better future with this person. And perhaps unexplainably, you're just suddenly done. And that is a good place to get to because there's never a good time to allow toxic people in your life whoever those people are, 
we need to figure out what's going on in those relationships, whether that's a church or a marriage, and what we can do to change things for the better. Everything I've just talked about here today is kind of intended as a just a comprehensive checklist for you of toxic relationship traits. And yet there's a lot of crossover with toxic faith systems as well. And in spiritually abusive environments, there are some things that are going to be even unique above and beyond what we've talked about so far today. My personal favorite for dissecting the topic of toxic faith is a book that once upon a time was my savior, my Bible on what was unfolding in my life after leaving a toxic church. It's a book by the name of Toxic Faith by Stephen Arterburn and Jack Felton. I cannot tell you how eye-opening and reassuring this book was as I had just walked out of the most toxic church experience of my life and began to try to heal from that painful spiritual abuse. This book details 21 faulty beliefs, which we won't go into great detail about today, but let's run through them. I think this is yet another list that illustrates how much toxic faith and toxic relationships resemble one another. Even as I read these 21 things that come straight out of this book about spiritual abuse, I bet you'll hear similarities to a toxic marriage relationship. Number one is God's love and favor depend on my behavior. Number two is that when tragedy strikes, true believers should have a real peace about it. Number three, if I have real faith, God will heal me or someone I'm praying for. And, you know, obviously the implication there is if there's no healing, then it was somehow faulty faith to blame. Number four, all clergy are of God and should be trusted. Number five, material blessings are a sign of spiritual strength. Number six, the more money I give to God, the more money he will give to me. Number seven, I can work my way to heaven. Number eight, problems in my life result from my sin. Number nine, I must not stop meeting others' needs, ever. Number 10, I must always be obedient or submissive to the authority that God has placed in my life, pastor, leader, spouse, or parent. Number 11, God uses only spiritual giants. 12, true faith means waiting for God and doing nothing until he helps me. 13, if it doesn't appear in the Bible, it's irrelevant. And the implication here is that the developments in psychology are ignored completely because they're secular and not of the faith, when the reality is that as mankind obviously evolves over time, there's things we learn that are important for us to know and understand. 14, God will bring me a perfect soulmate. 15, everything that happens to me is good, even bad stuff. Number 16, a strong faith will protect me from having pain or adversity. 17, God hates sinners, is angry with, and seeks to punish me for sinning. 18, Christ was merely a great teacher. 19, God is too big to care about me. 20, more than anything else, God wants me to be happy. And 21, I can become a God or God-like in this life or the next. 
Toxic Faith by Stephen Arterburn also addresses religious abuse or religiosity, which is used by the hurting as a means of avoiding reality. The 10 characteristics and five rules of a toxic faith system, recommendations for treatment and recovery, and what a healthy faith system looks like in contrast. And you can look for more information possibly in a future episode about this painful and little known, little spoken about topic of being spiritually abused by the very people who you may have thought were going to be your solace and safety in a cruel world, pastors, priests, and fellow church members. For now, the bottom line is that you can heal. If you have experienced the pain of a toxic marriage or toxic church situation, you can heal. Specifically within the area of faith, many, many people who leave this kind of toxic church will never step foot in a church again. And who could blame them? Many others, if not all, will be challenged in reconciling their views and beliefs of who God is as compared with what has happened to them. And a few will find a resource like the book Toxic Faith and really be able to tap into their personal faith relationship and their true beliefs and find healing. It's a painful and long process, no matter where you may end up eventually in your spiritual life. And, you know, as we wrap up part two today, I just want to thank Tara again for bringing this story to my attention and for sharing what she did with us last week about her toxic marriage and toxic faith and how they unraveled. And I'm grateful to her for sharing her story and reminding me of just how important this topic is and how many people are struggling with it. Having survived my own toxic marriage and toxic faith system over a decade apart, these are subjects that are near and dear to my heart. And although, of course, I've been able to see for years how one related to the other in some ways, I actually have never compared them side by side like we have here today. And it's kind of stirred in me a new passion for bringing these subjects into the public conversation. My own toxic faith experience was not even a single incident, but more than one painful unfolding at more than one church with more than one Christian, quote unquote, leader in my life. These are stories for another day. But what I want you to hear today is that spiritual abuse comes in many forms. So does toxic partner abuse. And what we've talked about here today is pretty much every major descriptor of these types of toxic relationships. Between last week's episode and this week, we have really broke down how toxic marriage and toxic faith intersect. And I hope that if you have heard in these episodes, something that has really resonated or hit a nerve for you that you will leave today knowing, if nothing else, that you do not have to stay. You can escape this. You can plan and prepare for a safe and smart exit from toxicity. And you can heal. You don't have to live like that. There's help. All you have to do is reach out. Tara and I have both spoken here to share from our personal experiences because we both used to struggle tremendously under the weight of these two issues. We know how hard it can be to stay, to understand, to gather the strength and courage, to leave, to heal, but it can be done. 
if we can do it, you can too. Would you start today by just exploring the startingoverstronger.com website? See if there's anything there that resonates with you. And if you haven't yet, please schedule a discovery call so we can meet and we can talk more about you and your situation and how if you're going through or facing a divorce situation, I may be able to come alongside you to ease you through that very difficult time. It's my pleasure to meet you here each week with a new story or conversation to explore all that is important to you as you divorce. Don't do divorce alone. Just as a reminder, you can email me anytime at Annie at com if you have questions, you want to explore today's topic or divorce coaching. I would also love to hear what topics you would like to hear on the show. So until we meet again, there is help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.